Hello, and welcome to She Speaks 2, the podcast where we share the stories of African Americans who have made an impact in their communities from the South Carolina Lowcountry and beyond. I am your host, Patricia Blygen Jones. Join us on She Speaks 2. for joining us for our inaugural episode of She Speaks 2 with our very own special guest, the Reverend Dr. McKinley Washington, Jr., a retired Presbyterian Church USA minister and politician. Good afternoon, Dr. Washington. How are you? Good, good. Good. Thank you so much for helping me kick off this uh, podcast. Uh, the whole goal for me is to collect as many stories as I can mm-hmm. um, from African Americans who have made an impact in their communities. So thank you so much for um, just giving me access to you on today. So I want to talk to you a little bit about your life. Uh, This episode is entitled Native Son. Mm -hmm. And I want to talk to you about your life. Tell us a little bit about yourself and where you were born. Well, I was uh, born in a little community about two miles out of Sumter called Stackhouse Place. Wow. And Stackhouse Place was the community where practically the, the most of my father's family was a part of that community. Uh, I guess you would call it the village. Like they say, a village, take a village to right. raise the child. So we all were there together in the, it's, it was a farming community. And um, we stayed in the Stackhouse Place uh, area, I guess, until I was uh, uh, in elementary school. Then we moved to uh, Maysville, South Carolina, about a mile out of the town of Maysville. My dad was a sharecropper. Uh, uh, my mom, uh, she was educated. She was he taught school off and on, uh, and, and also farmed. Uh, we had uh, uh, I had seven other siblings. Was eight of us, uh, six boys and and uh, two girls. Uh, I was the uh, third child. My oldest brother, uh, uh, who is still living in Jersey, and uh, of course my sister. Uh, passed some years ago. Uh, she was a school teacher uh, in uh, uh, in Georgia. She, uh, after she graduated from Bob Scotia, uh, she went to Georgia. And during that time, it was difficult for teachers in South Carolina, so she went to Georgia where they were paying more money, and et cetera. So uh, she was a high school teacher uh, there. Um, I went to a parochial school, Goodwill Presbyterian Church School, mm-hmm. uh, until my senior year, really. Wow. Um, and all of us, we walked to school uh, about two and a half miles every day back and forth. And of course, the white folks kids would ride the bus, and we were we were walking to school, rain shines, through the snow. Uh, my dad was a sharecropper. We planted a lot of cotton and corn and tobacco and and stuff like that. And so, 
uh, we uh, spent a lot of time uh, in the fields. Uh, my mom family came out of the Goodwill Presbyterian Church. My dad was in the Trinity Presbyterian Church in Maysville, and so we all were members of Trinity Presbyterian Church. Uh, we went to church school every Sunday. My mom was the Sunday school superintendent for this, as long as I remember it. She wow. was the uh, Sunday school superintendent, and many times we used to walk to church every Sunday morning. She, she would put us in front of her, and she would uh, make sure that we got to, to Sunday school every Sunday morning. And uh, my dad uh, was a deacon in the church. He sang in the ch in the in the choir, but he had he didn't have an education. Uh, but the he uh, he had the farm and uh, we uh, share crop uh, and many times uh, we uh, discovered that uh, he got cheated out of, wow. uh, of uh, like a whole lot of other people at that time uh, they go to uh, the, the guy Blacker Road was his name uh, when he bought food and stuff like that you know he just get the food and take the names that we sell up at the end of the crop year. Wow. And uh, at the end of the year, uh, when a lot of those folks didn't have an education, they just would tell them how much they owe and uh, wind up getting practically nothing other than the food that you, that you ate during the year and um, maybe a little money. But, uh, and of course, tobacco. Uh, my dad used to get um, uh, a third of that tobacco crop. He'd go to the market and sell tobacco, and et cetera. Uh, and I can remember we had um, um, all of our kids the tobacco uh, with the Timmersville where they were auctioning, selling tobacco. And, uh, and he got uh, what you call this guy to come around and and uh, and get all your money. Uh, he allowed to be. Uh, we were walking around that day. We said, "Dad, what, what what happened to all the money? He just sold it back." He lost all the money to two people who came along and. You know, had these roll of money. What you call them? Oh, flim flam. Flim flam. Yeah, got yeah, flim yeah. flam out of all of the money yeah. that we that we had for the back of that uh, particular time. Uh, and then it came down to the point where uh, my brother, oldest brother, uh, he decided that uh, uh, Mr. Rhodes were really cheating my dad. Uh, so he decided he was going to uh, stay in, in the room where Dad was when they were called settling up. Right, transacting, yeah. yeah and, uh, and, uh, and Mr. Rhodes started putting these figures down and my brother Zeke, who is in Jersey now, and he said, uh, Dad, that's not correct. That uh, you don't owe that kind of money uh, that he... Yeah, you do more than what he's saying. 
and this guy, white guy, he got angry and said, Kenny, you better talk to that boy. And uh, that, that was his word to him. And, and my brother said, no, that is not right. And uh, he figured it, made sure that uh, it was right. Uh, but a lot of time when that happened, they'd make you move and go someplace else, but we didn't. Uh, we were in that community with my mom's family. And most of her brothers and sister were living well, less than less than a half mile apart. We were all there together. And we walked to Goodwill School. I went there for elementary school and uh, high school. Uh, I uh, I drove school bus. Oh, you were a school bus? My, yeah, my junior and senior year. Wow. I, I drove school bus. Um, and I was, at that time, a pretty good athlete. Uh, I was captain of my uh, high school basketball team. Okay. Uh, and so I got the opportunity to travel with the team and a lot of time the principal who got to be Dr. we call him Chick Davis mm -hmm. uh, he, he would pick me up sometime take me to the game I can remember that uh, one important game we had that one night and uh, I missed the bus because I didn't have any transportation to get to the school when they left for the game and and they were losing this game, Pat. Uh, uh, and the principal, Chick Davis, and his wife decided they were going to come back to my house and pick me up. I was sitting in the house, home boy, he said, boy, come on out here and get to go to the basketball team. Right. Uh, so he took me to the basketball team. And uh, at halftime, I think we were losing the game by 20-some points. And of course, the other team, when they knew I walked in the, in the gym that they had problems, uh, we came back and won the game. Good. Uh, then we had about five or six of these uh, parochial and a colored private schools in the area. And that's when, you know, they had rule about separate but equal. They merged those schools into one high school, Eastern High School in Sumter. Uh, and uh, we all went to Eastern High School uh, from Goodwill, Congruity, Westminster, and all of these other schools came together. Uh, and uh, it was not a bad school, not a bad situation, but it was all black school. Uh, and right across uh, uh, the place where the where Eastern High School was, they built a white high school, new white high school, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, we graduated in, in 1956 from Eastern High School. I was uh, valedictorian of my class, wow. uh, and uh, I got to go to college. Three of us was in college at the same time. Mm -hmm. 
My brother was at Harvison Junior College, which was a Presbyterian school that was closed in right out of Columbia. Okay. Uh, my sister was at Barbara Scotia College. Uh, and then uh, I went to uh, uh, Johnson C. Smith. Uh, uh, folks were trying to get me to go to Mars College. I said, I wasn't going to stay home. I was going to go away. Right, yeah. I graduated from Mars. Yeah. I know you did. Yeah. And then the, my pastor, uh, Dr. Sam George, who uh, was a graduate of John C. Smith and a football player. And uh, so he said, Well, you know, uh, I know you ain't got no money to go to college, but you just. Going up there to John C. Smith and told Dr. Tell Dr. George, Dr. George was a uh, uh, dean of the uh, seminary at that time. Just tell Dr. George that uh, I said, you then you won't go to school there. Wow. And, and uh, that's all it took? That's all it took. Okay. I took my little suitcase and took the bus from Sumter, got off uh, at the bus station in Charlotte, took bus number seven, stopped by the campus, and... Uh, Dr. George sent me over to the registration office and uh, they registered. I went on to uh, uh, do uh, uh, work. I worked in the dining hall. I worked at the president's house. And then I was a assistant dean of chapel uh, at the school. So uh, that was able to take care of my uh, tuition, tuition and, and room and board. And uh, First, I was going to go into medicine. You know, I was good at mathematics at that time. Uh, if two of us in the class, Sam Johnson and myself, we used to race as to who was going to solve a, a problem on the blackboard. Wow. And, uh, Math was never my thing. <laughs> and uh, I was good at algebra and, 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 and stuff like that. And uh, uh, Sam, uh, graduated and he was he died just died last year in Pittsburgh wow. uh, and we all remember the same church uh, dr. Uh, 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 my principal not my principal but math teacher died last year Willie Jefferson uh, from Maysville uh, he was not only my uh, math teacher but he was my coach as well basketball coach um, so I went to Smith, and uh, I was going to uh, play basketball. And then when I got there with doing all this other stuff, I decided uh, 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 I didn't have time to do basketball. Uh, and I joined the University of Choir okay. and uh, stayed with the choir all through seminary. Uh, and we traveled all over the country. Uh, wow. was one of the best university choir there was. Dr. Kemp uh, was our music director. Uh, and uh, we uh, we used the choir to recruit students. We went to different churches, okay. different churches uh, throughout the country would invite the choir. And, and once those kids heard the choir, they wanted to come to John C. Smith. I went to Smith, uh, and I really went to Smith determined that I was going to seminary. And 
what convinced me to do that uh, was uh, G. Herbert Nelson. Okay. G. Herbert Nelson, uh, this Herb's daddy, yes. Uh, yes. was uh, he was a great athlete too. He used to referee most of our basketball game. Okay. He uh, organized uh, sport league in the area, you know, and I, I was a good baseball player, so I played baseball as well. So okay. I had a contact with uh, with with Dr. Nelson, and so. Uh, when we had uh, career day at Eastern High School, uh, John C. Smith sent J. Herbert Nelson to represent the school. Uh-huh. So he had a group of folks in his group, and he was talking about the ministry and uh, and uh, told me that he thought that there was a good area that I could uh, make a difference. Right. And uh, and because of her, that's. I went to seminary. That's how you ended up in seminary. That's how I ended up in seminary. Okay, that's a good segue because that was my next question. Mm-hmm. Um, how? What led you to ministry? Yeah, Jerry Nelson was was one of the person influenced. Plus, Pat, I grew up in a Christian home. My mom and dad. We participated in all of the activities of the church and of the Presbytery youth fellowships and all that stuff, camps and conference. I don't think I missed any of those. Uh, and so I had that basic background. So I started out with math and biology at Smith, and then I decided I was going to go into political science and religious education okay. and economics. My political science teacher was Dr. Bluford, and Dr. Bluford was highly political. Okay. He uh, he had one desire that he wanted to do was to get rid of a racist senator from North Carolina. So he would uh, use us as a part of our uh, outreach and community work. We had to go door to door to register people. Mm-hmm. Like and, you taught us to do. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> and that's what and that's what we did, and uh, got people out to vote. Uh, and I was a member of the uh, Christian Action Group on campus, uh, student union group, uh, and I was, I guess, involved in some form of politics uh, while I was in college. Uh, after the student demonstration and lunch counter demonstration in Greensboro, North Carolina at A&T. The next school was John C. Smith. Charlie Jones, who was uh, Reverend Jones' uh, son, represented uh, John C. Smith at that uh, uh, organization. Uh, now, who was Reverend Jones? I know he's the father of Charlie Smith, but what's his significance? What was... Reverend Jones was a missionary United Presbyterian pastor, uh, and uh, his wife was an English teacher at John C. Smith University. So their son, Charlie Jones, was a student at John C. Smith University. Gotcha. And uh, Charlie also went to seminary. Uh, He died last year, too. I had a chance to talk to him. So 
Charlie came back to Johnson Smith and we organized the student march on, uh, I don't remember the name of that uh, uh, restaurant on the corner of Trade and, and uh, Triant Street. They uh, had stools where you had to sit down, lunch counter. Like a Woolworth or a Crest or something? Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, we decided we were going to march on, we were going to sit down and eat lunch. And so we had a big meeting on campus. We decided that we were going to march. We did. We went, we got up in the morning. Uh, we walked from John C. Smith campus to the square. Uh, Try to take a seat at the counter, they would not serve us. We kept doing that. We had white folks who would spit on us, kick us, and you talk about police brutality. Policemen was used to deny African American students and African American for years. Uh, I remember uh, young ladies were spit on and kicked in the stomach by grown white men while we were marching. Wow. Went to jail in the morning, and and uh, the NAACP president would take students out of jail, uh, and right back in the afternoon, we were back on that march. Right, right. Uh, there was a Belk store, had a restaurant down in the basement. So we said we were going to prove that uh, it was a color thing and a racist thing. And there was two students on the campus uh, looked as white as any white person. Mm -hmm. Cookie Wright and uh, what was Cookie's last name? The young lady. Cookie Wright was the center for the football team. So we planned that night. We said, well, we're going to send Cookie Wright and uh, Cookie downtown and ahead of the march mm -hmm. and see whether or not they're going to let them in the restaurant. Right. So they did. Cookie Wright and, uh, and Cookie got in the restaurant because they didn't know whether they were black or white. Wow. And uh, so they had a seat right next to the door. So we marched to the door and said, you be on the end of the, to, uh, to eat lunch? They said, we don't serve uh, Negroes here. And so we said, well, you got them looking at, <laughs> you, you got, <laughs> you got to, to uh, <laughs> they were so embarrassed they ran them out of the restaurant. Wow. But, uh, it was it was it was difficult, but it got to the point where they <coughs> uh, uh, they moved the stool where you sit for lunch because uh, they weren't going to stop us from 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 demonstrating. Uh, so they moved the stool so that nobody could sit at the uh, at the lunch counter. Uh, Dr. King came to campus. Sat us down in Duke Hall. We had, we sat in a circuit in the big room, uh, in the lounge of the girls' dormitory, and uh, and told us when we had started, said that it was nonviolent, and that if you can't take it, don't join the march. A lot of students said, uh, "Hell no, we ain't gonna take it." Somebody, <laughs> somebody slapped me, almost slapped the hell out of me, just like that. That was student talking, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, and, and that was a lot. That's, that was a lot to ask. Even yeah. to this day, it's a lot to ask of someone to turn the other cheek. Yeah, it's yeah. A lot. Yeah. But a lot of students did accept that uh, challenge and and uh, and joined the march and etc. And then about 
I guess about three or four weeks later, Malcolm X came to campus. Wow. And uh, Malcolm X had a different story. You know, he, 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 he wasn't talking about no nonviolent stuff. Right, you know, right, he, right. He was talking about the real, you know, getting down. Yeah, 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 getting <laughs> in the fight. And this was before fight. this trip to Mecca, yeah. I'm guessing. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and so you had those two opposite, Dr. King, and then you had Malcolm X. Uh, but this was uh, uh, one of the interesting things in my life in that, uh, that whole uh, uh, segregation and the marches in the 60s uh, that uh, we were a part of. Uh, and then I was, uh, I went to seminary and Dr. George came to me and said, uh, look, there's a letter after Reverend Brewer died. Mm -hmm. And, uh, the former pastor of the United Presbyterian Church. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and so, uh, cause I had really planned to go in chaplaincy after I graduated. Oh, I never knew that. Yeah. And so Dr. Doris said, uh. Uh, young man, uh, uh, we need somebody down to Edisto. Uh, so uh, said, I said, I just want you to go down there and uh, uh, and, and stay for a little while until you can find a pastor. And a little while turned into 50 <laughs> yeah, plus years. Yeah. yeah, so I came down and and, uh, and uh, stayed the first summer with uh, Bert Air Brown, Mary Brown knows. I lived with them a day in Young Island because okay. I was doing St. Paul and Edisto. Uh, that was in 1962. That's when I first started Edisto. And you started as a student pastor. As a student pastor. Right. And then uh, the next summer I came down, I stayed in that old raggedy mansion with Miss Wood uh, <laughs> at the church at, at Edisto. Uh, and I used to, uh, and not only that the summer, but I did it during my senior year uh, at in seminary because I would come down. Reverend Campbell had been called to Hopewell and Amwell, right. so Campbell would drive down, and I would catch Robert Campbell and uh, come to Eddystow because he would come home to Eddystow because that was his that right. was his family. And uh, and so when I graduated in uh, uh, '64 uh, from seminary, uh, or December of '63, really, uh, but I was ordained in uh, January of '64 at St. James uh, Presbyterian Church, and uh, wow. uh, was called uh, to Edisto, St. Paul, and Faith. They used to call me the Apostle Paul because I had three churches. Three churches, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Now, where where was Faith located? Adron. You know, I have no memory of that church at all. Adron, the little black, the back road, the dirt road, and it was less than two miles from St. Paul. Hmm. See, that church used to be passed by Reverend Peyton. And, uh, I declare to you, I have no memory of that. No. Only St. Paul and Edisto. I uh -huh. do not. I don't remember Faith Presbyterian. That's interesting. Yeah, Faith Presbyterian Church. We had Nathaniel Mitchell and Miss uh, Dent. And uh, Thelma Dent, who came to Smith from, from, uh, from Faith Presbyterian Church. 
uh, in Adamtron. Uh, that whole Dent family, Beulah, Beulah Dent, right. their right. whole family was a part of, to, uh, part of uh, uh, Adamtron Presbyterian Church. And uh, I tried to get them to, to merge, I think right after I became the pastor, but they were going to leave that cemetery right. at, uh, at Faith Church. And I was chairman of the evangelism uh, task force for the Senate of the South. And uh, I was holding a meeting in Augusta, Georgia, one weekend, where all the churches uh, and the president here in the Senate came. And uh, we came back uh, from uh, Augusta. Uh, I think Ms. Wood was riding with me and someone else. I don't know if it was a Dorothy uh, or not. But we got to Walterboro, we saw all these big lights light up the sky because mm -hmm. it was a stormy night, lightning and thunder. Mm -hmm. And I remember, I said, where in the world is that, that big fire? Came to get to Adam Drun, discovered that it was Faith's church. Wow. The lightning struck the church, burned it down, and that's when they had to go to St. Paul, and that's how they got to be. They became members of St. Paul, Paul. the, the merge, the yeah. merger. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And that's what happened on that. But uh, I got involved immediately after I got uh, ordained and uh, became uh, pastor of Eddie Stowe in St. Paul. And uh, things were rough in that area. Things were real rough in that area. Uh, the Klan was very active. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember uh, they used to burn a cross in front of Peter Miller every Friday night. Folks had a difficult time even walking through Hollywood after dark. Wow. If you were African American. You didn't get you didn't go to the beach after night. You could work down there during the day. But you could not go to the beach after sundown on Eddystone. And uh uh Grocery stores in Hollywood, you know, treated people terrible. Uh, so one day I was sitting down uh, at Fielding's funeral home. I believe it, the death of Miss Park, I believe it was. Mm -hmm. uh, Nathalie knows. Uh, Miss Sarah Parker. Sarah, yeah. And Mason, who was the big fellow working at, at, uh, at Fielding's funeral home, you know, he got to be very, very, very good friend. And he said, I'm going to tell you, man, he said, he said, Reverend, what we need to do, we ought to organize the NAACP out there. And, uh, and I said, well, you know, that's something. He said, no, you know, I know I'm not afraid. I've been through the marches and uh, et cetera. I went to, uh, the, I went to Washington for the uh, poor people's People's campaign, campaign uh -huh. slept in the mud. It was a rainy, rainy week that day. Campbell Woods and I, we slept in the mud at the basement, at the basin, uh, because Dr. King had died, gotten killed, but Ralph Abernathy went on with the Poor People campaign 
with the wagon and the mule and stuff that that went to Washington D.C. So we stayed uh, during that week in Washington, uh, and and that was a wet week and it was nasty. But we stayed and uh, uh, after that we came back, uh, and I got involved with the uh, hospital strike. Mm-hmm. In at Charleston. M- at MUSC. The medical, the medical College of South right. Carolina. Right. I was the coordinator for West of the Ashes as far as getting demonstrations and mm-hmm. demonstrators. I had young people uh, who uh, worked with me uh, uh, from this area in Edisto who would march and uh, uh, what you call them from Charleston, I mean from Atlanta, stayed in our house on Edisto. Wow. Uh, uh, What's that guy? And he died a few minutes ago, a few years ago. Uh, oh, I can see. I know who you're talking and, about. And uh, but I got to uh, uh, to know. Joseph uh, Lowry. No, it wasn't Joe. Okay. Uh, what you call him, Robert Ford, buddy. I can't think of a name right now, but he was the big fella. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we, uh, the congressman from Washington, uh, stayed with us on occasion uh, when we were in that civil rights battle. Uh, And then we organized the NAACP. So prior to that, there was no NAACP presence? No. In, okay, Sea Island's Hollywood area? No, in Sea Island, Johns Island, and down this whole area. Uh, So we organized and got some Folks who were really dedicated to uh, the cause. Uh, a lady named Rosa Nesbitt, I sent them down to, uh, to uh, Beaufort, uh, down to Penn Center, Penn Center. And, uh, and got involved in workshop and how to deal in community and et cetera. And they all came back and uh, they were my troopers but the NAACP, uh, Lucius Hamilton and Louis Bowman, uh, Johnny Johnson, and those guys uh, did whatever I asked them to do and they made sure that they were going to protect me. Uh, they would, Lucius and, 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 and Louis particularly, uh, <clears throat> they, were, they were my guards. Okay. Uh, but. We did a lot of stuff uh, in changing this whole community. Uh, guys on, I think it was Pick the Wiggler, I believe in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we had to get on him about hiring black folks and et cetera. Wow. And I remember he uh, I was in the store one day talking trash about food stamps. Uh, about uh, how bad it was these folks with the food stamp. And so I said, Mr. Hardy. Okay. I said, Mr. Hardy, I heard you criticizing food stamps. I said, look around the store. Who you see shopping in here? He said, what do you mean? I said, who you see shopping? Who's buying the food? That's in right. The, in right. The, and uh, he said, well. And I said, who's getting the money from the food stamp? That's right. It's not the people. You're getting the money for the food stamp from these people. And we had no more trouble out of him. And he said, well, you're right. And we got to be friends. 
after that. But that was such a simple thing. You would think that he would have known that automatically, that you shouldn't have had to point that out. Yeah, but that lot of that, and it's still happening today. Who's getting the money? Right. You know, black folks and poor folks get the food stamp, but rich folks and business taking the money. That's right. Yeah, but out there criticizing people, talking about the Cadillacs and all that sort of stuff. And then uh, we uh, talked about the problem of education, Pat. Uh, this area wasn't getting anything much from the educational system. Mm -hmm. uh, our senator from this area uh, came to me one evening. Uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, he was a senator from Charleston, but he lives down in Hollywood. Uh, and he said, man, we're going to change this thing. Let's just consolidate school district. Now, was that a good thing or a bad thing? I think it was a good thing at that okay. point. All right. And, uh, and he got the stuff passed, and he consolidated the district. Okay. But they ran him out of town. Gibson, Senator Gibson. Senator Gibson left here and went to, uh, what's the name of the place where the, where the uh, lady that ran with John? Alaska? Alaska. All right, Sarah Palin told me. Yeah, that. went right. to Alaska and uh, stayed in Alaska until I think three years ago he came back to Walter and died. Wow. Uh, and they had all that property, Gibson Plantation back there, mm -hmm. uh, on Peter's Field. Wow. And, uh, and, and Gibson uh, gave me a piece of property, gave the community a piece of property, uh -huh. where the community center in Peter's Field is being used, and was used, it was done by, by Gibson family. Wow. Uh, as, as a result of that, uh, and then we, uh, had we organized, uh, organized the Young's Island Improvement Association. Mm -hmm. We built a community center down there before you get to Many Hughes School okay. on the left. We did it on the weekend, John Johnson laid the block. We all got together and built that building for the folks in the community because they didn't have anything. They didn't have anything. Yeah, no recreation, no place. No recreation. Yeah. Wow. And then there was the, as far as our young people, uh, the education, Dr. President Kennedy was president. He had in his cabinet the Office of Economic Opportunity. The Office of Economic Opportunity included funding for education and all that sort of stuff. Okay. I was also working with Mayor Bell Howe, who's a white lady from Charleston, getting Howe's mama. She was a great person uh, for poor people and the Sea Island. Uh, Sister Mary Anthony and Reverend Willis Goodwin, mm -hmm. Father Henry Grant, and others. So when the leadership in South Carolina said that they did not want the OYO money, the Head Start money from Washington, because it was dirty money. Strong Thurman refused to accept the money. 
It's like some of them refuse to take Medicare money right now. That's right. Jay Palmer Gilliard with the mayor of Charleston, he decided he wasn't going to accept the money. I rode to Washington, drove to Washington. Ms. Wood had a new Buick. Wow. I drove that Buick to Ms. Wood, Sister Mary Anthony, and Father Henry Grant took the train because he wouldn't ride no plane. And Miss Mary Howe, we went to Washington, spent a whole day with Sergeant Shriver, Kennedy's brother-in-law, uh-huh. who was in charge of OEO. Plead to him about the needs for poor kids, need head start, et cetera. That's right. And uh, whether or not we could uh, get the money without going through the state or the local government. We left Washington and uh, we came back. I think about three weeks later, we got notice from Sergeant Shriver in the Office of General Opportunity saying that we could, we needed to organize an organization uh, to receive the fund. Mm -hmm. That is when we organized the Charleston Office of Economic Opportunity. Wow. And because of that, we established the first seventh Head Start program in South Carolina. Larrison was one of those projects. Uh-huh. St. Luke was the other one. We had one at Pockers Ferry. Okay. We had one in Johns Island. We had one in East of the Cooper, North Charleston, and the Miss Clark Center in downtown Charleston. Uh, what happened because of that organization? Many other organizations came out of that organization, the legal aid program right. got started. You know, we had representatives from each area. I represented the, this area, Young's Island, Ravenel, Eddystone, et cetera. Bill Saunders from Johns Island, mm-hmm. Reverend Austin, East of the Cooper, William Austin. Mm-hmm. And that program, because of that commission, we got the youth program that we hired Jim Clyburn. Jim Clyburn ran that program, sent a whole lot of people to Wilberforce University. Nelson that. I Rivers. About that. Nelson Rivers and all that crowd went to Wilberforce University. Uh, we also were dealing with migrants. There was a migrant program we had at Edison every summer with that school over there. Mm-hmm. I remember the migrant camps too. Yeah, and Miss Howe was really involved in that. Uh, Willis Goodwin, I was. So we used that program to start the self-help housing program. Okay. Self-help housing program on Edison Wilder. You had two brick houses then. The manse that I was living in and Perry at the store, that, 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 that brick house, that was the only one allowed until mm-hmm. we built the manse. Uh, and then those people got in the self-help housing with Ethel Blygen, mm-hmm. uh, Blygen was living, mm-hmm. two houses across first, New First Baptist Church. All those houses were built through that self-help housing program. Clyburn Road and Adam Dunn, all those places came out of that self-help housing wow. 
program. Okay, so then would you say that your work, your um, your work in that area, would you say that kind of pushed you, that led you into politics? I was, I guess, that was a part of it, uh, uh, Pat. Uh, we uh, we discovered that from the delegation view. We weren't getting anything much. Maybe we get one road paper a year. Wow. And uh, Clyde Dangerfield then was chairing the Roads and Bridges Committee for the Charleston County Delegation. And so our people started complaining about ditch, drainage, and roads, and bad roads, and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff, dirt roads, and all that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, and hard rain would wash them yes, out of those roads Yes, indeed. And so uh, Herbert Fielding, was in the house, Herbert got in trouble with the tax thing, and he had to resign Mm -hmm. uh, from the house. And folks saying to me, said, well, we need somebody to run for that seat. Came to me and we talked to folks, uh, uh, church folks, folks at Eddystow with great support of most of the folks I sent for, you had two, three people that sent for was against it. Mm-hmm. They didn't want me to serve mm-hmm. in the house. Uh, and I ran in a statewide, I mean a countywide election against Sidai Limehouse. I won the primary over three different people. And, uh, but I lost to Sidai Limehouse in the general election. Okay. And, uh, Sidai Limehouse got in trouble with some drug stuff. Okay. And uh, then the, the, I think two years after that, we had reapportionment. Uh-huh. I ran for the house, got elected, and that is when we started getting stuff in this area. Uh, and I feel that... Uh, that that was one of the best thing that could have happened to me for the church and a whole lot of other it's stuff in yeah. the community mm-hmm. because the community got a lot of stuff. People got jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, folks who uh, went to schools and uh, what you call them at, at Baptist Church downtown Charleston, not from Eddystow. You always talk about how he had to come counsel with me. I had to counsel him and uh, all he owes everything now to in his life to me because he and his mom came and we, I sat with them and counseled all that stuff. What's in Evans. Okay. Arthur Evans? Reverend Evans, yeah. yeah. Down and, on, 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 is he on Rutledge Avenue? I yeah. His church is on Rutledge, Rutledge Avenue. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, and I work, with, I work with everybody now. I just get out of my bed sometime four or five o'clock in the morning because there were problems. The, the Gatson boys won't let anybody go to the beach. That tree. Yes, 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 yes. yes. Well, Please go down there and talk to 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 to, to Tish in that crowd. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to keep them from throwing rocks and bricks yeah. at cars and stuff like that. But uh, did they ever say why they were doing it though? They were just doing it because they couldn't do it. <laughs> the boys were tough, man. Yeah, yeah. They were tough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then we decided that we needed to 
do something about the beach in the state park. Mm -hmm. uh, we got some folks, I think the University of Chicago, black kids and white kids, came to Edisto, went down to the beach on a Sunday morning state park and went in water and swam. They lock them up. Yeah, they arrested them. And now, locked. was the beach still segregated? Yes. It was still segregated. Okay. Yeah. They locked them up, and uh, we got Matthew Perry. <laughs> I said, last time I saw Matthew, I guess about a month before he died, and wow. we, we laughed about what happened. And uh, Seabrook was the magistrate. He was he was big wheel in the Presbyterian Church. And I got all my opposition from my brothers and sisters in the Presbyterian Church. Wow. Uh, and so they had this big trial uh, on Eddie Stowe. So he had no place in his little office there on the Red Liquor Store on that area. I remember. So he had the hearing at his house down on the plantation. It started outside, man. We had people from everywhere. Island everywhere was there for that case. And then he moved inside the house. And Matthew Perry, you know, Matthew was a great lawyer. And Matthew asked Brother Seabrooks to recuse himself because, you know, he had a prejudiced uh, feeling right. about the whole situation. And uh, he wouldn't do it. He got on the telephone and called the chief magistrate. And I'll never forget this. And he was saying, uh, 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 I got a fella down here who, 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 who some Perry, he, 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 I, I think he's the Perry Mason, Perry. Oh, my God. Wow, he was that disturbed? <laughs> yeah, he was that wow. disturbed. Yeah. So he convicted those kids. And Matthew appealed it to the circuit court. The circuit court overruled him, freed the kid. Not only did he do that, he opened all the state parks wow. in South Carolina as a result of that case. As a result of that case. Because they were all locked up, grown up and everything, you know. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. So they had to take locks off the gates. And it was open to everybody. And I remember a week after that, Camel and Reverend Woods Came there to steal camera, got one of these little big water, big car in the tube. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Put the air, went down to the beach, and jumped in the water. Wow. And all the white folks ran out of the water. Are you serious? <laughs> I'm like, what, serious. What year was that? I don't remember what year, but, okay. but I, I had to go back and look it up. Yeah. But he, they ran out of the water like something was going to wash off of him. But they got out of that water on the beach. And from that time on, it was open. Wow. Uh, uh, to everybody. Did you ever, as ever, during that time or any time after, did you ever have any problems with the KKK? Yes, indeed. Okay. The KKK, I never got scared or frightened, mm -hmm. and, you know, because, you know, I'm going through all the demonstration and marching with Dr. King and all that stuff. And so was you were that, prepared? I was prepared. Uh, I had been at the foot of the uh, monument when Ken made a big speech because uh, Alpha's brother was right. in line behind him, so we got preference. Uh, the 
night, we went to bed because we had that open carport before we closed it in at the manse. Mm -hmm. I got up that early Sunday morning uh, and my car was spattered with KKK and eggs and all that stuff in the carport. Wow. And I said, it's frightened me because I said, now, here we were in the house sleeping. They could have burned the house down with my family. That is frightening. And it was frightening. And uh, so I called the uh, chief sled. What's, what was sled? He's dead now, but we came, became good buddies. Mm -hmm. And he came and sat over in that woods for a whole lot of week trying to find out who did this stuff and discovered that there was a little group trying to organize the KKK group on Edstow Island. One of the persons involved was um, Melisham, well, I guess the grandson of one of those uh, boys. Uh, but that's the only time I got scared okay. because of my family at uh -huh. that particular time. But all the other nasty calls and stuff that I would get from people yeah, didn't, yeah. didn't matter. Uh, but they never burned a cross on your property or anything? Uh, they burned a cross on Brewer when he was there. Okay. Uh, but they didn't burn a cross. Uh, but they used to burn a cross in front of Peter Miller every Friday night. Wow. Uh, what black folk got that property now, see. Okay. So we, the boys and uh, uh, because of the NWCP, they got brave enough, they would go across to Peter Miller when they started burning the cross. They'd throw rocks and bricks at them. So, wow. So they wow. weren't afraid of them right. anymore. Right. And uh, I was chairman of the Rural Mission Board. Uh, and Rural Mission was operating out of Goodman's Church mm -hmm. on John Down. So again, they asked me to go to Washington. I went to Washington. Uh, Miss Howell, myself, and Willis Goodwin. Mm -hmm and asked for a demonstration grant for healthcare. We got the demonstration grant. That's how Sea Island Healthcare got started. got started. James Martin, who was a Presbyterian minister, white Presbyterian minister who was past Sumter at Sumter Second, became the director. David Richardson was chairman of the board and uh, Seattle started branching out and got a whole lot of program going. Good. And even the small farmers co-op, all that came out of out of that. Uh, and I was, you heard the Esau Jenkins. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, Esau and I got to be very good friends. Esau would call me every Sunday morning before church. Mm -hmm. uh, Reverend. He's going to be Washington. Mm -hmm. uh, make sure you get your people on the other store to do so and so and so. You in, you in uh, Reverend Days. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Reverend Days and I got to be pretty tight. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. Reverend Tony Days. Tony Days, um, yeah. Former pastor, New First, New yeah. First Missionary Baptist yeah. on the other store. Yeah, and uh, we were part of the Citizen Committee okay. that, that had a big thing every year. And the other store and all the other islands uh, would uh, come together. Be a, about that Miss Miss Lula Blodgen mm -hmm. was a real country. She would make sure that we had a table 
had that event every year. Every year. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they were faithful and committed now. Oh, yeah. yeah those soldiers are very faithful, oh, yeah. very committed to the cause. Yeah, and that organization did a lot in voter registration and uh, teaching folks how to vote. Mm -hmm. And uh, Did you ever go to Freedom School down in Tennessee? No, I'd never go down. Okay. I never went to Freedom School. Uh, Ms. Wood did. Okay. Uh, uh, but uh, we organized in Charleston. No, is this called PAC? Okay, and what does PAC stand for? What Pol did it stand for? Political Action Committee. Okay, a PAC. And uh, that organization decided whoever was going to run for office in Charleston County, mm -hmm. and if PAC wasn't with them, they weren't going to win. White or black? Okay. We interviewed folks. I, so, I, I remember sometimes we stayed up to, to 3 and 4 o'clock in the morning at Joe Brown's office on Rutledge Avenue, he had a little real estate office. Mm -hmm. Planned the strategy, how to take over precincts. We took over the precinct at Edisto. All them folks in Edisto were Democrats. But once we took the precinct over, they all went Republican. Wow. That's what happened. You know, all those folks, all except Lindsey. Lindsey never changed. Okay. He stuck with the party, stuck with us. And uh, he would come to the house and and his kids always went to Jane Everett School. Mm -hmm. He used to pull them out. Was that Edward Lindsay or? No, no, uh, Nick Lindsay. Nick, Nick, Nick Lindsay. Yeah. Uh, Nick. I remember his children. I remember a couple of his boys. Yeah, my wife taught all of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, but he, he, he was self. And the church, uh, somebody at the church was going to sue him because he was writing this book. And talking about what happened in slavery mm -hmm. and how the our church uh -huh. uh, was treated and who did what uh -huh. and called some name of folks in the church and they were going to sue him. How did, and how did that end up? Uh, I don't know. I, I never heard any more about that, but Lindsay uh, told me that day, I forget the name of the family that he said, I know it was the Murray family or whatever, mm -hmm. but somebody uh, was going to sue him because of what he had in the book. Uh, what he what what he was gonna put in the book? Right, right, right. Yeah, but he's not there now. He's when we married again after because I I did his wife's funeral. Oh wow! At uh, Edison Presbyterian Church. Uh, oh, Edison. Uh, Presbyterian Church in Edison, not too long ago. But some of us, I was gonna go by to see him, and uh, one of the ladies from the church, I was asking her about him. And she said, man, you don't know, Lindsay married again. So he walked in the church and had this new lady with him from Florida somewhere. Wow. And he should be in his 90s, right? He, yes, indeed. Yeah, he yeah. should be in his 90s. Well, let me, let's, let's switch gears. Let me ask you this. Um, considering everything that's going on now um, with the murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis and the way things are playing out and how things are being handled, well, what, what are your thoughts? I mean, I know pro police brutality is nothing new for you in your lifetime, but what are your thoughts about it? And, and, and what do you say to the generation that's out there now um, protesting? And I mean, what, do you, what, what pearls of wisdom do you have? I think that uh, uh, what is happening, uh, Pat, is something that's happening all over again. Same thing we went through. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
just on a different level. And I say to young people that you have to get involved. You have to vote the culture, the culture in the police department got to change. Because if the culture doesn't change, they're not going to change. That's right. Because the police were used to do what they're doing to black folks years ago. Alabama, Mississippi, Pettus Bridge. Who did all the stuff on the Pettus Bridge to to John Lewis and those? But policemen. Right. And they didn't get any kind of punishment because they were a part of government. They were part of the mayor's team. Uh, and you have to, whether you, whether black policemen or white policemen, mm-hmm. there's a culture in the police department that they call themselves brothers. So they don't care what they do, they feel that they are going to get off and they have been getting off with it. That's right. Uh, they have not been convicted. I remember when uh, the boy in North Charleston, Louis' son, or grandson. John Lewis's grandson a couple weeks ago. Yeah, not John Lewis, but uh, Jan- uh, James Lewis, who was on... Oh, on the city council. Yeah. You're talking about city councilman James Lewis. Yeah. All right. it, you know, I look at the picture where they threw him up against the wall. And then... The chief of policemen is black in North Charleston, but he comes out and makes an excuse for those guys. Uh, at least in the, in the Milwaukee, not Milwaukee, but uh, Minnesota, the chief of police is an African-American. He immediately fired him. And that's what's going to have to happen. Right. Uh, but I said to young people that, you know, you got to keep on marching. You got to keep on educating yourself. You got to keep on getting involved. You got to keep on doing what is necessary to change the culture. And you can't do it with bricks and stone. You know, you can't do it with bricks and stone. Look at what we did with nonviolent, with Dr. King. You know, uh, you got to do it that way because you have got to elect you got to elect people to office who have power to change policies. But can you agree, though, that it's frustrating um, because sometimes it seems like those efforts are just for naught. You know, you, it, it's almost like you're climbing up a hill and you never get to the top because something keeps pushing you back. But you can't stop climbing. You can't, you can't stop pushing. You can't stop educating. You can't stop getting involved. You guys, you can't stop voting. Just like the the boy's brother said yesterday, you know, you don't need to throw bricks. Go vote. Mm-hmm. That's how you change the system. You got to be up in there. If you're not in there, if you're not at the table, you don't know what's going on. Right. But do you think? Do you honestly think we can change? the culture in law enforcement? Do you think there's hope? I think so, yes. I think so. I think that uh, you have uh, the union, the police union, is one of the summing block. Mm -hmm. But when you get 
prosecutors. Now, I don't know what my boy going to do. Who is, they've given him the responsibility in, in Minnesota. In Minnesota, the attorney general. Attorney general, you know, to, uh, to handle that case. Somebody got to have the guts and the fortitude to do what's right, whether it means that you're going to go against the grits. And that's the only way it's going to happen. You've got to go against the system mm -hmm. to change the system. Change the system. So then what do you say, um, I, and I know and I'm not sitting here condoning looting or rioting, mm -hmm. any of those things. Um, it just seems, everything just seems so hopeless. How do you keep moving? How do you stay focused on the, the, the goal? How do you keep your eye on the prize? Well. And speak to us about the importance of local elections too, because I don't think people realize it's okay to vote in the big general election, but speak to us about the importance of electing solicitors and those offices, you know, on the local level. But this is very important. That's why I said it matters who is head of the ticket mm -hmm. because you need to look at what's down on the low part of the tickets. Those are the individuals that impacts upon your life, whether even it's a school board. Mm -hmm. you, you have to deal with that issue. <laughs> your local uh, your local sheriffs, you know, we got a sheriff election coming up now. Mm -hmm. You know, we have to make sure that we vote for those folks. Those folks just as important as the president. Right. And if we don't put people in those kind of position who has the sympathy and the empathy mm -hmm. for your position and the compassion and the compassion, it will never happen. And a lot of times we have made the mistake. I said, well, I'm not going to vote. I'm not going to do that. Everybody going to do the same thing. That's not true. No. You got to get people in the position to do things. If you didn't have John Kennedy, you have a, 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 a ultra-conservative president, Lyndon Van Johnson. If Lyndon Van Johnson didn't do what he did, if he didn't get folks to go down and move George Wallace out of a door, if Senator Prince Holland didn't take your boy from Charleston to Clemson University. Harvey Gantt. Harvey Gantt. Mm -hmm. Harvey Gantt wouldn't have gotten into Clemson University. The president wasn't going to put him in there. Mm -hmm. But the senator did. And right now, who is dominating everything in Congress? Mitch McConnell. He's a senator. Mm -hmm. If we don't take the senator this year, Elect a president, we haven't done anything. Right. President ain't got no power without having some support in the Senate. Right. If right. we don't elect somebody who's going to put somebody on the Supreme Court look like you and me, that's where the buck stops. Right. Because they make the final decision that's right. that affect your life. That's right. And I hear folks talk about the vice president or you had to have uh, a black woman for the vice president. That sounds good. But to me, the most important thing 
is they're putting that black woman on the Supreme Court. Right. That person gonna be there for a long he time. Be there until they die. Vice all president, retire. vice right. president ain't gonna do nothing because the president is there unless something happened to the president. Right. And that's what folks have to look at their priorities. What are your priorities? What is going to impact your life more? Mm-hmm. And I think that that's the kind of thing that and it ain't going to happen overnight. No, 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 no. It's not going to happen overnight. No, it's not. What do you think? Why do you think it's hard for people to understand that, though, the importance of the local elections? I mean, is it just not enough information, not enough education? What is it that... Education. Okay. That's the important thing. Okay. You have to know what's going on, and you can't do it from an emotional standpoint. No, I, and I agree. I'm glad you said that. Mm-hmm. Keep going with that. And a lot of people do it from the emotional standpoint, uh, and rather than look at really the practical standpoint mm-hmm. as to what's going to be best in the end. Uh, for folks like you and me and black and brown people in this country. And this has been going on for 400 years. Mm-hmm. But it, it's left up to us. What do you think is the biggest stumbling block for us um, as a community um, of people of color? One problem, one of the problems is unity. Okay. Unity and, well, you always see, you know, we, we like crabs. Mm-hmm. Like crabs in a barrel? Yeah, crab in a barrel, you know? Yeah. You know, uh, there had been opportunity for black folks to get together and do business together, but nobody want to trust anybody. White folks do it. They put together business. Next time, next thing you know, uh, you see folks got a big business going. This person involved, that person involved. Mm-hmm. They get the money from the bank. Everybody put their money together, but we don't trust each other. So then we have a trust issue, and that's Be- a terrible that, trust issue. Yeah, and so that's something we have to work on. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Yes, indeed. I mean, but how how do you do it? Though? How do you attack that? How do you how do you approach that? I mean, what do you recommend? What do you think? It's, it's how an, do you build trust within the community? It's another part of education, and I think that as younger people, I think younger people are moving in that direction. They're getting into business. Uh, they're coming together putting together plans to do certain things, but it's gonna take time mm-hmm. to do that. Uh, folks rather go by myself and know whether or not you can, no good and well, you can't do it by yourself. Right. You know, uh, you've got to be able to trust individual. And when you trust individual, those folks that you put trust in have to be trustworthy. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. And that's the truth. They have to be trustworthy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I like that. What else would you tell the generation um, that's out there pushing? I mean, I'm in generation, I'm generation X. Um, my children are uh, generation Y and Z. 
Mm-hmm. I got one that was born in the latter part, very latter part of the 20th century, and one born a year after the 21st century um, started. One thing I notice about them, um, they are not as tolerant as you are or myself. They're not as tolerant. Um, as my grandmama, my grandmama used to say, they don't take tea for the fever. Yeah, they're not as as tolerant. And I think that Pat, uh, one of the one of the problems that uh, we have had is integration, not desegregation. That I always said this: the negative part of what we did in the whole movement was we created what we call a lack of respect. Folks, and particularly young folks, don't have respect, even for themselves and for their seniors. You know, uh, we used to say you, you would not find somebody throwing bear bottles and liquor bottles and drinking in the churchyard and all that kind of stuff. Right, right. But kids, don't, I mean, it, that doesn't mean nothing. No dignity. No dignity no whatsoever. Yeah. And uh, and it's going to take time because of the assimilation of the white community. And a lot of these young folks have taken on that trait from the white community drugs and all of the other stuff that's going on that uh, they would have never done in the black community. Right. You know, we hold it sacred. Right. But as far as them, they're concerned, most of them, sacred doesn't mean anything to a lot of young folks. Right. 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 You know? And that's why you have very few in the church. Yeah. You know? You have the older folks there, but they are you got a different kind of thing. They go to, uh, I asked Levi Johnson was telling me his, his son is a young guy, you know, in the pastor. Uh-huh. Uh, I asked and I was in the house together. Uh-huh. And uh, he said, man, he said, my son came home, he said, he went to church and they had church at the bar. You know, <laughs> they had church in the bar. But, you know, but, they're, they're, but and, and I hear you, and it's strange to us. I, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's strange to us, but you find that you can reach more people in the places that they're used to frequenting. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, mm-hmm. um, but we have to find new ways to do ministry. That's true, and that's one of them. Now, I don't, you know, I don't know if I would ever get there because of the <laughs> way that I was, you know, the way that I was raised. Um, I don't know if I would get there, but you know, you and I both know Jesus hung out any and everywhere. Mm-hmm. you know, to reach, um, to reach the people. So you're right. It is a, dis- a different sensibility. Um, give me your thoughts on just the whole issue of race in this country. And, and just, just tell me your thoughts on that. Do you ever think, I, I mean, I'm of the mindset. I don't know if we will ever eradicate it. I don't think it'll ever go away. Mm. Um, I think, um, as bad as it is, it also presents lessons um, for people to either straighten up and fly right, change their hearts, or 
you know, you're just going to stay the way that you are and that's that. But do you think we'll ever get to a point where we will have a balance, you know, like it, if it will ever, ever level off? People used to say, oh, well, when a certain generation dies off, that'll go away. But I'm not seeing that. No, you have, Pat, you have some of the younger generations are more racist than some of their parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... Uh, and, and, and for over 400 years, we've been saying, we've been trying to, to change this whole thing, but it's gonna take, uh, I don't know uh, whether or not we'll ever level off to what you're talking about. Uh, I guess uh, sometime it might be uh, a way where God uses folks and folks like us to point out what Christ died for. You know, uh, you go back in biblical times, mm-hmm. you know, there was race issues and et cetera with the Jews and everybody else. Uh, so you're going to have, you're going to have some of that. Uh, uh, I don't, I don't see anytime soon that you're going to, well, they, they come out and say, well, you know, I love you. Uh, and behind your back, you hear something else, you know, uh, I know maybe some of my brothers in the legislature, mm-hmm. all oh, they're some of the best fellas, but you get them in a certain area and you get a few drinks. Loose tongue. Loose tongue. It's mm-hmm. a different person, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, and so it's something inside. That, that, that you got to get outside of them. Mm-hmm. Well, racism is a sin. It, yeah. it is a heart issue. Yeah. And that's what I, I try to tell people when they ask me, well, what can I do? I want to change. I want to do this. You have to start with yourself. Yeah. Because it, racism is a heart issue. And you have to admit, once you admit that and you look at it and you lament it, then you have to say, I mean, you have to say to yourself, okay. I'm a part of the problem, and here's why. But mm-hmm. the thing is, we don't like introspection. Many of us don't. We don't like to admit flaws. No, 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 no. Just like your president, he, he doesn't. It's like uh, the bishop said, and the, some of the pastors were saying, mm-hmm. you know, you holding up a, a closed Bible. If you open the Bible and read the Bible and do what it says. It's a different story. It's a different story. And that's what the Bible is all about. That's the kind of thing that's going to solve the problem. Right. You know. I think some people will never get it, though. No, you're right. Some people will never get it. And I think, and, and that makes me sad, because if we believe that there is another life beyond this one, how do you prepare yourself to, to answer you know, how do you prepare yourself to answer God for your behavior in the here and now? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm just putting that out there. I mean, how do you do that? How do you reconcile that? I'm very careful how I speak to people and how I interact with them because I know that I have to be accountable. Yeah, well, that's, you know, and, and that's another thing. When you look at it, I used to always say to some of my good uh, white brothers and sisters, Friends, you know, uh, you talk about uh, being a Christian, and oh, I love my Jesus, and 
I love this and love that. Uh, but at the same time, you are doing just the opposite of what Jesus said, mm -hmm. what the Bible says. Yeah, when you look at the KKK and they said they're Christian, they go to church, but they'll come and hang you and burn you up on the cross after service. But they're Christian. That's not Christian. Nowhere in the Bible. And I bet you, I bet you my bottom dollar that the guy who had his knee on the neck of that young man, I bet you he didn't remember one of those organizations. And there are plenty of them, and a lot of policemen. I remember. I remember Reverend Blygen, Robert Blygen, mm -hmm. and uh, Robert, you know, liked to take a nip every once in a while. Right, right, right. And Robert was coming from Charlotte and to Camden. George Wilson, who was his friend, uh, my cousin, Reverend George Wilson. Mm -hmm. George was passing in Camden. And Blygen wrecked his car in the not because he was right. under the influence, right. but he got almost into Camden. He ran into this group of KKK. Wow. Uh, and 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 Blige said there were there were policemen with them, and so he he just got nervous, he got mm -hmm. scared, mm -hmm. uh, and he was telling us about this thing. And George said, "Blige," and he said, "Yeah, it's what happening. You have." Uh, and I'm telling you, those policemen put the hood on, and guess what did they did with the boys down in Alabama when they killed them? They were policemen. Right, right. Policemen in the day and KKKs at night. Right. So and you still Cheney, Sherman, Cheney, yeah. Right, right. You have the same thing in the police force right now. You have racists in the police force. Yeah. And KKK is in the police force. Yeah, the Department of Justice did a, a study um, in the mid-90s, mid to late-90s, and it was discovered that the um, local law enforcement agencies, well, law enforcement agencies across the country had been infiltrated yes. by the KKK. KKK, yeah. and that's a part of culture change. Mm -hmm. Background check, you hire policemen, and the policemen got in trouble in Walterboro, Collegeville. Well, that guy had been to three police departments working for him. And had problem, and yet they hired them over there. Yeah, you know, and that's happening in police department all over this country. Yeah, guys ain't have no business in the police department because when they get a gun, they got almighty power. They got almighty power. Yeah, we've got to fix that, and we've got, got to, to fix, fix it. We've got to fix the criminal justice system. Got um, to. I think that's my right now. That's the that's the biggest thing for me. The criminal justice system. And how it's, justice is not metered broken. out fairly. Yeah, yeah. It is very broken. Um, you have people like Jeffrey Epstein, you know, who committed suicide last year for all the stuff he did, and other people. The the when Jeffrey Epstein got uh, was found, well, when he cut a deal with the federal government the first time they arrested him for mm -hmm. his crimes, pedophilia, and all that stuff. Um, they gave him eighteen months mm -hmm. in prison. But then they allowed him to work outside of prison 10 to 12 hours a day. He was still doing what he was doing. But he was already do. doing, yeah. And so we know that people with money and power get things done. I get that. 
but the system, I, I don't know that it ever happened. I would love for it to be a uniform system across the board, all 50 states. Um, is that asking too much? Probably so. Yeah. But I just think it's unfair where you could end up getting anywhere from 10 to 15 years for something minor, a nonviolent offense. That's correct. Compared to someone who has done something, some committed some heinous crime, uh, be it sexual assault or whatever, or murder, three or four years. and they get less time. Yeah. That is totally, that, that is, that's unequal. Well, I mean, it's you, totally unfair. Yeah, when you get the Department of Justice and uh, what you call them doing right now with the Trump's buddies and et right. cetera, right. those right. guys. Uh, uh, Flynn and Cohen and... Um, Manafort. Manafort. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and, and when you have the top cop in the Department of Justice doing that, mm -hmm. what do you think the folks down the law area, what, what do you think they're doing? Living on do as you choose, Allie, because no that's, one's checking. That's it. exactly true. Right, right. Exactly true. Mm -hmm. Well, Dr. Washington, this has been an enjoyable conversation. Yeah, uh, you get me started Yeah, there. yeah, yeah, yeah. We got an hour and 24 minutes in. Can you believe that? <laughs> After all, all of this, uh, thank you so much for your um, for your contribution, for your conversation. Um, anything you want to leave us with? Anything? Just. I think that uh, as a people, as a country, that we have so much that we can offer. But first of all, we got to understand that you are part of a human family love is the key and that you got to work together in unity but as black folks we have to respect each other and respect ourselves and if you do that young folks coming behind you will get a different picture as to what life is all about and what they ought to be doing to uplift themselves. My uh, my uh, valedictorian speech topic was keep climbing, but the top is never reached. Mm. Uh, and you've got to keep working at it, but you can't give up. You got to keep working at it, and sometimes take different techniques. But most of all, you got to have some respect for yourselves and for your brothers and your sisters to get anything done. And don't give up on the protest. You got to do that, mm -hmm. whether you do it. Nonviolently, Dr. King, which we felt was the best way, or whether you can do it like Malcolm X. By any means necessary. But one thing that good came out of Malcolm X, and I remember what Malcolm told us in that university church you know, you slap me, I'm going to slap you back. But Malcolm had white folks afraid of what he was talking about. 
So they would rather deal with King than deal with Malcolm. So a lot of King stuff got done because of Malcolm X. Wow. Yeah. Wow. They, they, they knew that if they didn't do what Malcolm said, Malcolm scared them into doing what King said. Wow. You, believe it yeah. or not, that's what happened. It's like choosing a little lesser of two evils. That's right. Okay. Gotcha. Bill Sanders and that crowd, and uh, that not, what, what you call that stuff, they were part of uh, the, uh, I forget what Bill was, but they, they were part of that Malcolm X stuff. Okay. And uh, Bill was a radical, and folk were scared of him. So... I'd rather deal with King than deal with them. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I guess we could, um, we can agree. We both can agree that there is hope. What is hope? There is There's hope. always hope. There's always hope, and we're going to hold on to that, and we're going to keep climbing until we can't climb anymore. That's right. Doctor yeah. Washington, thank you so much. Thank you so much for allowing me to rattle off. Oh, no problem. Just a little bit. Thanks for joining us this week on She Speaks 2. Check us out on Instagram and Facebook at She Speaks 2. As always, subscribe to the show to catch every new episode and leave us a review so we can continue to bring you fresh content. See you next week.